Thanks, you guys. All right, well, let's open up our Bibles to Romans chapter 2 this morning. I like what Erwin Lutzer said. Erwin Lutzer said, we play the game, but God keeps the score. Our study today is kind of a tough study. Um, as a matter of fact, from Romans chapter 1, verse 18, all the way to chapter 3, verse 20, it's kind of a tough study in one sense. Uh, Paul the Apostle is just going to be saying over and over and over again that everyone is guilty. That everyone is guilty. doesn't matter how good you think you are. You know, one of the things that we're going to discover this morning is that the people out there who say they're moral, who say they don't need Jesus, they're actually hypocrites. They're hypocrites who are guilty before God. And so we're going to spend, man, like a month just looking at how everyone's guilty. First the pagan Gentile, then the moral hypocrite, then the religious Jew, then everyone, the whole world is guilty before God. Now, you may say, well, why did Paul do that? Why did Paul spend so much time telling everyone that they're guilty? Well, the reason he's telling them and he's telling us and he's telling the world that they're guilty is so that when they recognize their guilt and their sin and their desperate situation, that they would cry out for Jesus Christ. You see, the world won't really cry out out for him until they know their situation. I think there are some of us here today, and you know, it's every Sunday morning, there are people who come to church, but in all reality, they're not saved. They don't know the Lord. Oh, they kind of believe in Jesus, and oh, they kind of, you know, acknowledge these truths and stuff like that, but they've never really been broken. And you can see it in their eyes. You see, Paul the Apostle really wants us to know that we need the Lord. It's kind of like, you know, in one sense I share with the other congregation, you ever seen sometimes those cars driving around or maybe they're even parked in your own driveway and they're dirty, they're filthy. As a matter of fact, they're so dirty that someone came up to them one day and they wrote on the window, it says, wash me, man. Have you ever... (laughs) It gets so bad that, you know what, it's like, Hey, man, the light's got to turn on. Something's got to change here, you know. (laughs) Filthy, dirty, needs a wash. And the same is true for the world that we live in. You know, it's unfortunate that you have some of these Hollywood stars. And you know what? I'm grateful for the things that they do in one sense. You know, they give to charity and they help out in these moral ways. But, you know, they're guilty before God. Because even though they're moral... The bottom line is, because of the sin in their life, they're actually hypocrites. And so like Erwin Lutzer said, we play the game, but God keeps the score. I read of one man who made free use of Christian vocabulary. And he talked about the blessing of the Almighty and the Christian confessions, which would become the pillars of the new government. He assumed the earnestness of a man weighed down by historic responsibility. And he handed out pious stories to the press, especially to the church papers. 
he showed his tattered Bible and he declared that he drew the strength for his great work from the scores of pious people who welcomed him as a man of God. Indeed, the man appeared to be a Christian, but the man was Adolf Hitler. You see, there are many people playing the game, but God keeps the score. We need to know this, you guys. And, you know, as we go through our study today, we're going to see that, you know, it primarily applies to the world out there. They don't know Jesus. They're moral and they don't know the Lord, you know. And so for them, the hypocrisy is so, you know, terrible because of their end. But it also applies to us as a church. You know, for us as a church, we know what to say and we know how to act on Sunday mornings. But we go home and we do those things to our spouse. We treat them like trash. We don't spend time with them. We don't pay attention to our children. And so many things happen. And in all reality, we ourselves are playing the hypocrite. You know, Francis Bacon said, a bad man is worse when he pretends to be a saint. And we're going to see Jesus Christ said that there is a special judgment for hypocrites. And so what does God want? God wants us to live the life. God wants us to walk in freedom, love, joy, be real. And we are able to do that by the power of the Holy Spirit. You know, in studying our book today, we're going to see last week the wrath of God. It was there upon the pagan Gentiles. But this week, we're going to see the judgment of God. And this judgment is there on the moral hypocrites. And we see in verses 1 through 4 that God's judgment for them is inescapable. Because look what it says there in verse 1. Therefore, he says, you are inexcusable, O man, whoever you are who judge, for whenever you judge another, you condemn yourself. For you who judge practice the same things. But we know that the judgment of God is according to truth against those who practice such things. And do you think this, O man, you who judge those who are practicing such things and doing the same, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? Paul, again, is speaking to humanity. That's what we read there in verse 1. He says, Therefore you are inexcusable, O man. He says the same thing in verse 3. And do you think this, O man? Not to the Jews only. He's speaking to the mass of humanity. And he speaks to them who are so able to identify the wickedness of the world. For example, if you look at chapter 2, verse 1, there's the word therefore. And so that points to the previous verses. And when you read the previous verses, you see the lists of wickedness there in Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 32. And so here you are, and these moral people, there are moral people out there who don't know the Lord, who will point to their wickedness, not only identify their sin, but pass judgment on them. And Paul says, if that's you, you're able to say, hey, that's fornication. And yet you yourself are not living a life of purity. Paul basically says in this section right here, understand, you will not escape the judgment of God. 
He tells them, he teaches them, you need to know this, that you will not be able to escape God's judgment. You know, it's true. God will judge the hypocrites who preach against it and yet practice it. And it's for that reason that I think that the world needs to take a long look, that even the church needs to take a deep examination as far as where we're at in this whole thing. You know, because here's the way it works, you guys. Uh, So many have a tendency to be blind to their own sins and think that since they know how wicked those things are, that they themselves are okay. Well, I know what that's called. That's called fornication. It says that in the Bible. And there you are looking at pornography. There you are checking out these chicks on rated R movies. You're just as guilty, even though you know what it's called, fornication, lust. You know, there you are, and you're saying, hey, I know you shouldn't get drunk because, you know, it's dissipation. It's a wasted life. You even know that word dissipation from Ephesians 5, verse 18. But then you find yourselves with other addictions, other influences. And you see, Paul right here is trying to say, listen, you know, and there were these moral men, especially in Rome, uh, men like Seneca. They were, they were moral men, but they did not know the Lord. And Paul was trying to tell them, listen, you're as guilty as they are and you will not escape the judgment of God. And for us this morning, again, most of us here are Christians, but I think we need to come away, not necessarily with that precept right now, but now let's look at the principle. Understand, God hates hypocrisy. He really does. Hypocrisy will send you to hell. It really will. There's no doubt in my mind. There is no doubt in my mind that right now, as we're here, there are moral ministers in hell. Men who knew all the sins, men who knew all the scriptures, men who judged, you know, one finger pointing out at everybody else, but three pointing back at them all over time. There they are in hell. Why? Because they lived a life of hypocrisy. They tell you to pray, but they never really pray. You know, they know the wickedness of infidelity and yet they're lost in their own lust. They tell everyone, hey, you got to esteem others greater than yourselves and yet they themselves are selfish, self-seeking men. They say, hey, be content. Man, that's what the Bible says. And yet they themselves are caught in their own covetousness. They'll be able to tell you, you know what? I know this. The Lord Jesus Christ said that love is the greatest commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. And yet they themselves hate other people. They're hypocrites. And therefore they themselves are in hell. You know, so many of us are able to identify the sins of others and even pass judgment on them. But we really have to ask ourselves that question. Do I do those things in any way? You know, we need to stop and be able to look and dig deep and and just know that, you know, just because we know that, you know what, they're wrong. It doesn't make us right. We really have to examine our life. To those people, Paul asks that question. It's a rhetorical question there at the end of verse 3. And do you think this, oh man, you who judge those practicing such things and doing the same, do you really think that you're going to escape the judgment of God? You really think that? No way. No way. It's almost as futile as those things we see on TV, huh? Sometimes we see those car 
chases on TV, and I don't know why these guys do this, man, but they've got 27 cop cars following them, and they've got a helicopter shining the light, and, you know, they're uh, being shown on, you know, seven different channels, and they think they're going to escape? What? what, what, what? <laughs> and if you're living a life of hypocrisy, you will not escape. Christian or non-Christian. And that's why you have to get right. Because one day we're going to stand before God at the great white throne judgment. If you don't know Jesus Christ, one day you're going to stand before God at the Bema Seat judgment. And the Bible says that God will render to each one according to his works. We're going to see in the last verse in today's study, the secret things. You know, the only reason you do those things in secret, in the dark, and in the deep rooms of whatever it might be, the recesses of your heart, is because you probably don't think that it will ever be brought to the light. But it will. The Bible says every idle word will be brought into account. Now, for us who are Christians, we're grateful. It doesn't mean that we're not going to you know, go to heaven. We, we're, we're grateful. We're going to heaven because of what Jesus did. But it doesn't mean that you're not going to give an account of your life. We're going to see that in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. Revelation chapter 22. Jesus talks about that. Matthew chapter 16. He's going to render to each one according to his works. And that's why God help us, especially me as a pastor. Because I teach so many different Bible studies. Man, I've got to live it. It's a scary thing. It really is. Now, verse 4 is kind of an interesting verse. He says, Or do you despise the riches of his goodness and forbearance and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? Now, there's a couple of possibilities here. What's this all about? You know, one possibility is that whoever's passing judgment right here, they don't like the way that God is so patient with them. Man, why hasn't God dealt with them yet? I don't understand why God hasn't, you know, zapped them yet. That's a possibility. But the probability is this that in their own life, they're experiencing the long-suffering, the forbearance, the patience, the gentleness of God. And since God hasn't zapped them, since God hasn't kicked them out of the ministry, since God hasn't you know, sent them to the pit, then therefore God must approve their behavior. And the thing that God wanted to use to change them instead is being used in their own heart to keep them in their sin. I mean, there may be some of you here today and God's been telling you, you've got to spend more time in prayer. And he's been telling you that for a long time. But your life is okay. You still have an income. You still have food on the table. You're still maybe even involved in ministry and, you know, your family's doing good. And you're like, well, it's been okay. You know what? God is still providing. Oh, it's no big deal. I don't really need to pray. And, and, and yet... God is saying, no, I want you to spend time with me. I want you to pray because I love you. And what you're doing is you're taking the long suffering of God and rather than using it for what is supposed to be repentance, you're using it for persistence. And that's a scary thing because one day that grace will run out. And again, I'm not saying you're going to lose your salvation you're going to lose the privileges that God has so richly blessed you with. You can talk to many people, man, many people who are no longer involved in the ministry. 
You can talk to many people who have lost their children, who have lost their spouse because they were presumptuous with God's grace. You know, I remember hearing a story about a young man who was working, and uh, he was kind of like your typical young man. Now, not all young men are like this, but a lot of young men are, um, you know, they think they know everything, you know. I used to be that way a long time ago, man. Now I know I don't know anything almost, man. But, you know, these young men, they think they know everything. And this young man, unfortunately, again, was like most men. Now, there are exceptions to the rule, but this young man was not very responsible. He'd show up to work. He'd be there late once in a while, but sometimes he wouldn't even show at all. You know, just very inconsistent. And so his boss sat him down one day and said, listen, man, you got to grow up. You got to get right. You've been here for a while. I've been warning you over and over again. You're supposed to be here at a certain time. You're supposed to be here every day. You're scheduled. And so the young man's all, yeah, okay, thanks. You know, but let him go. He still kept working there. And then one night he went to a party. He got drunk. He got high. Didn't even know how he made it home. The next day he woke up and he found that he had woken up five hours late. Didn't even show up to work. He was too embarrassed to call. So the very next day, He shows up and he's thinking, I know what's going to happen. My boss is going to fire me. What am I going to do? How will I make ends meet? How will I survive? How will I find a job? And so he goes in and the boss calls him to the office and he sits him down and he says, listen, I know how it is being in your shoes. I was there once. I know what it's like. But listen, you gotta, you got to grow up. you got to come to work and you've got to get to bed and you've got to cease from your wasted life. And he shared with them, listen, I'm going to give you another chance. I'm not going to fire you because I really do care about you. You're not just an employee. I have God's love for you in my heart. So what do you think that young man did? Do you think he went out and got high again and got drunk again and came in late again and didn't show up again? No. This man's goodness and kindness changed him. And that's the way it should be with the Lord. See, the goodness of God, the long-suffering, the forbearance, the patience of God should lead us to repentance. And that's what this guy is saying, and that's what Paul is saying. You moral hypocrites, you know, I, I see what you're doing, and you think that just because God hasn't judged you that he's approving of it. No, this goodness, it should really lead you to change your life. And so Paul says to them, listen, you can't escape the judgment of God. It's inescapable. And then the second thing about God's judgment is that it's righteous. And we need to know that as well. We read that in verses 5 through 11. Notice the warning here. It says, But in accordance with your hardness and your impenitent heart, you are treasuring up for yourself wrath in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God, who will render to each one according to his deeds. You may say, well, God's not getting me now. You know, I'm still going through life. 
right? Well, that's kind of a scary thing, man, because you want to know something? Those people out there, and they're living their life. You know what's going on? If God's not getting them now, if they're not getting it now, then they're storing up, it says, wrath for themselves in the day of wrath. That's a scary thought. But that's what the Bible teaches. See, unrepentant hypocrisy only stores up wrath for the hypocrite in the day of wrath. And there they are, kicking against the convictions and hardening their hearts and settling in their sins. On this side of time, they might not experience God's heavy hand, but one day the Bible teaches that there is a terrible treasure awaiting them. And like Jesus said in Matthew 24, in verse 48, he said, but if that evil servant says in his heart, ah, no big deal, my master is delaying his coming, and then he begins to beat his fellow servants and to eat and to drink with the drunks, then the master of that servant will come on a day when he is not looking for him and in an hour that he is not aware of and will cut him in two, notice that, and appoint him his portion with the hypocrites. There may be some of you here today who came to church today and you know this is the reality is. You're not really living for Christ. You've got one foot in the world and you've got one foot in the church. Your heart is divided. And you just keep living that life of hypocrisy. You keep living that life not completely committed. If that's you and you die like that, then one day God's going to say, okay, you want to be divided? Okay, I'll divide you. I'll cut you in two. I will cut you in two. And I've got a special place for hypocrites. You know, either you're going to serve the Lord or don't. But if you try doing both, if you try being lukewarm, understand the Bible says God will vomit you from his mouth. He wants us, you guys, to be totally his. That's Christianity. That's what it is. You know, sometimes the sin is exposed on this side of time. And actually, that might be a good thing. You know, maybe you're here today and you've been doing whatever it is you're doing. You're drinking, you're smoking, you're looking at pornography, you're treating your wife or your husband like trash. Maybe you're here today and, you know, these things are going on in your life and you know they're not right. I would encourage you, come clean. Come clean now. Rather than waiting for God to expose you on the other side of time. I think of this man, Ted Haggard. You know, his name is all over the news. He was a pastor of one of the biggest church in this country. He was the president of the Evangelical National Association, millions of members. And he was very strong on preaching against homosexuality. While all along, he was engaged in that lifestyle. And so, you know, his sin found him out. And they exposed him. They said, listen, okay, this is what you need to do. Get right. Just stay out of the public. Show us signs of repentance. But what does he do? He goes and he signs up for this movie deal. The, the, the trials of Ted Haggard. And so what did the Lord do? Well, the Lord exposed him again. Another young man rose up and said, this is what he did to me. And they even paid me money to hush. And you look at that and you think, wow, this really does happen. The moral ministers who are hypocrites. But what we see is that God will expose them better on this side than on the next side, but only if our heart 
is repentant. Because understand, you guys, and here's one of the principles that really it spoke to me. Verse 6, it says right there, who will render to each one according to his deeds. Okay, each one means everyone. Okay, everyone means you and me. One day we're all going to stand before God and we're going to give an account for everything that we've done. See, this is a very important reality to realize that judgment is coming. For the believer, it will be at the Bema seat. For the non-believer, it will be at the great white throne. Here Paul quotes from Psalm 62, verse 12, and Proverbs chapter 24, verse 12, a truth that is mentioned throughout the Bible. Ezekiel chapter 9, verse 10, God says, I will recompense their deeds on their own head. Jesus said in Matthew 16, 27, that the Son of Man will come in the glory of his Father with his angels. And it says, and he'll reward each one according to his works. You see in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 10, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. There it is. One day, we will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And the Bible says that each one may receive the things done in the body, whether good or bad. See, one day we will give an account. And Paul's writing this here to kind of wake us up, to stimulate us, to motivate us, to really bring us to repentance. Jesus said in Revelation 22, verse 12, And behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me to give to everyone according to his work. You see, we need to know that one day we'll stand before the Lord. And so how do we live our life? I like what they, Paul writes here in verse 7. He says, Eternal life to those who by patient continuance and doing good seek for glory, honor, and immortality. But to those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey in righteousness, indignation and wrath, tribulation and anguish on every soul of man who does evil of the Jew first and also of the Greek, but glory, honor, and peace to everyone who works what is good to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for there is no partiality with God. You know, in looking at this right here, it's kind of cool the way it's classified into three areas, okay? The goal. Okay, what is your goal? The work. What are your works? That will determine your end, where you will live forever and ever. Our goal is what we seek, our works are what we do, and our end is where we go. And notice what it says again there in verse 7, eternal life to those who by patient continuance in doing good. Notice right here, it says, seek for glory, honor, and immortality. Okay, here's what we need to be seeking for. Here's our goal, okay? Number one, to seek for glory. Now, what do you mean seek for glory? Okay, this is what it means. It means that you are seeking the manifestation of God. That you are seeking the glory of God. That when you come to church service, that you're not coming because that's what you do on Sunday mornings. That you are coming to seek God. 
That's what you're seeking, the glory, the manifestation of God. You guys know the difference, huh? You know how it is when you read your Bible, you kind of flip through the chapters, and then you go, and it's like you didn't really spend time with the Lord? You know that, huh? But then there are those times when you read the Bible, and your like, heart is just on fire, and you know you're spending time with the Lord. You know how it is when you go to a church service, and maybe you know this is not right, or that's not right, or he's not right, or you're not right, and nothing happens. You go out the door, same thing, never experience God. But when you go into a service, your heart is right, hungry, and then you see, you seek God. That's what he's saying. Number one, seek the glory. Seek the manifestation of God. Number two, seek honor. Seek honor. And what does that mean? Well, this is what that means. It means that you want to please God. That one day when you die, you just long for those words from the lips of Jesus. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your Lord. That you want to seek to please God. That's honor. And then the last thing right here is immortality. And so this is what we're seeking for. We're seeking after the glory of God, the manifestation of God. We're seeking after that life that just wants to have the Lord in our hearts and all that we do. And then the immortality is, listen, I want to be in heaven one day. How many of you here want to be in heaven? I'm just curious. I think you all do, right? I mean, but do you ever really think about that? The immortality, what that is, is the presence of the Lord. And that's what you need. Paul says, listen, if you do that, you're going to get it. He says later on, you're going to have glory. You're going to have honor. You're going to have peace. God's going to give it to you. But here's the flip side to the whole thing. There are those who seek something different. And look what it says there in verse 8. There are those who are, the Bible says, self-seeking. They're self-seeking. Rather than seeking to please God, to serve the Lord and and others, it's all about me, myself, and I. It's that, you know, unholy trinity to which all of us most naturally bow down. And you know what? I think if we stop and we slow down here, if we could just kind of like pull over to the curb and think about this one for a while. I think for a lot of us here would hit home more than we might expect. Okay, we can just drive by and say, yeah, okay, cool, I won't do that. But when you stop, you turn the engine off and you think about it, how much of our life is really based on pleasing ourselves? You know, the decisions you make, you're just thinking, well, how is this going to affect me? Me, me. And it's a trap. You know, the decisions we make shouldn't be based on how it affects me. But what does God want you to do? And what about, what about your wife? What would she want? What about even your children? How can you bless them? Not just you. You know, you say, let's go get something to eat. Okay, all right, let's go to, you know, I don't know, Arby's. Okay, I don't want to go there. Yeah, but she wants to go there, dude. You know, just go to Arby's, man. Make her happy. Fast, if you don't like it or something. I don't know, but I want to go to Carl's Jr. Well, I want to go to Arby's. Okay, you know what? And then you just, you know what? Little teeny things. I know that's a little teeny thing. But it's a manifestation of where our hearts are at so many times. 
The self-seeking is something that I think a lot of us struggle with. If that's you, notice again where that ends up. There in verse 8 and verse 9, indignation, wrath, tribulation, and anguish. Believe me, man, you don't want to do your own thing. You really don't. Now, in looking at this right here, someone might say, well, Paul seems to be teaching salvation by works. But you know that's not the case. As a matter of fact, that's part of the reason why I asked you guys to read the whole book. How many of you here read the whole book? No, I'm just joking. I won't ask you guys that. But that's why I asked you to read the whole book because you'll know that the context here is salvation by faith, grace. It's not works. But here Paul says this. Listen, the life that we live, it really shows whether or not we know the Lord. Like John says, you know, you guys say that you love the Lord, but you hate your brother. What that means is you don't love the Lord, period. That's just the way it is. Our life shows our hearts. What we're reading here is not conditions to merit salvation, but rather it's the evidence of salvation. And so mingled in this whole thing, Paul is saying, listen, to the moral hypocrite out there, the people that don't know Jesus Christ, but they're moral and they go and they do good things and they you know, have that tendency to judge others. He's trying to tell them, listen, you're guilty. To the church, he's trying to say, listen, the hypocrisy thing, it really needs to be dealt with. And then in this last section right here, Paul says to everyone, I want you to know that God's judgment is impartial. Because look what he says there in verse 12. For as many as have sinned without law, will also perish without law. And as many as have sinned in the law will be judged by the law. Because there are some people who say, well, you know what? I'm sure they're not going to go to hell because they never had the Bible. They didn't have the law. And Paul says, yes, they are. They will perish. That's why we want this missions thing. That's why we want to reach the world. They will perish. Why? Because they have a law in their hearts. Look what Paul says next. He says in verse 13, For not the hearers of the law are just in the sight of God, but the doers of the law will be justified. For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do the things in the law, these, although not having the law, are a law to themselves, who show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience, also bearing witness, and between themselves their thoughts, Accusing or else excusing them. You see, when it comes to the law, the doers of the law, not the hearers of the law, are justified in God's sight. And right here, Paul is saying, and when those people out there, they don't have the Bible, but they do the right thing, what they're showing is that there is a law written on their hearts. And one day, and who knows, maybe you'll go uh, with us to Africa or India or one of these places, man. When we go and we we talk to these people, maybe you're going to go out. We're going to go again in a couple of weeks out to Almani and share with people. It's so cool what the Lord did yesterday. Isn't it neat how it was raining and then it stopped raining when they were witnessing and then it started raining again? I think that was cool. But a lot of people accepted the Lord. But you'll go out there and you'll tell them and you'll begin to talk to them and you go out there in the world and you'll know that in every civilization, in every single culture, Innate within the heart of man is a knowledge that they have done wrong and that they need to appease their creator. They all know that. And as you go and as you share with them, you can tell them that Jesus Christ 
is the answer. You know, maybe you're here today and you're not a Christian. Maybe you're here today and somebody invited you and you know, you know, I, I'm, I'm guilty, I've sinned. I, I know I'm not right with God. Then cool, that, that's where it starts. And I want to share with you today that you can be forgiven of all your sins as you trust in Christ as your Lord and Savior. You see, that's what Paul is trying to share with them right now. He's sharing, listen, it's in their hearts. Don't tell me they're not guilty. They're guilty. You know, you go to McDonald's, and I don't think anybody ever had to teach you this, but you don't just cut in line, do you? You don't just, I'm going to the front. You know, I'm hungry. You don't do that, right? You go to the back. It's just innate. It's within you. Believe it or not, C.S. Lewis talked about that argument right there. It's true. And so Paul says, listen, the whole world is guilty. We're going to come to the answer real soon, but everybody needs to know they're guilty. And we need to have this healthy reality in our hearts, man, that you know what? One day God is going to judge us, even us as Christians. Look what we read next in verse 16. In the day when God will judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. Again, making it clear to you that as Christians, it doesn't mean that you're going to stand before God and he's going to determine whether or not you're going to heaven. No, you're going to heaven because you have trusted in Christ as your Lord and Savior. But you're still going to stand before God. And notice three things about this right here. Number one, on that day when you stand before God, God will judge the secrets of your heart. The secrets. That's what he says there in verse 16. In the day when God will judge the secrets of men, the things that you do in that dark room, that deep room, where you think no one else sees, and the reason you continue to do it is because you don't realize that one day you'll be held accountable. One day, God will judge all the secrets. Number two, it's kind of interesting. The one that you will stand before is going to be Jesus. That's what it says right there. In the day when God will judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ. That's heavy, huh? Think about that. One day, stand before him, and there is Jesus. Think about that day. Let it stimulate you. Let it motivate you. And the third thing he says regarding this whole judgment day is that it is part of the gospel. According to my gospel, and that's what Paul says, God's judgment is part of the gospel. People need to know that judgment day so that today they will receive Christ as their Lord and Savior. And so for us today, we see the precept applying to the pagan world, the moral hypocrites. But we also see the principle. For us as Christians, you guys, hey, let's live the life. Let's live the life, really. I remember reading about a man who was in the ministry. He was a pompous-looking deacon. And he was there one day in front of his class of little boys endeavoring to impress upon them the importance of living the Christian life. And so he asked his class, he says, why do people call me a Christian? And then one of the little boys who kind of knew him pretty good, he, he raised his hand and he says, I think it's because they don't know you. I think that's, that's why. <laughs> oh, Lord, help us, right? What if 
What if I knew you really well? What if you knew me really well? Would there be enough evidence to really say, this man, he's a Christian? Not because he's a pastor, not because he goes to church every time, not because he knows the Bible, but because he has love. Love in his heart. Life. I see it. That's our prayer, you guys. That's what we want. I pray that God would do that work in us. Father, we thank you so much for allowing us to be here today. We thank you so much, Father, for teaching us your word. And our hearts go out to the lost. It makes me want to evangelize more than ever before. It makes me want to go out there. And Lord God, just to follow you, Lord, in reaching and preaching your word. Because all the world is guilty. All the world is guilty. And unless they come to Christ, they will perish. Oh God, give us that heart for the lost. But Father, I also pray for the church. I pray, Lord God, that we as a church would understand the way that you hate the hypocrite, hypocritical life, Lord, the way that one day you will cut them in two and point them their portion. And so, Lord, today, as we partake of communion, we really want to examine our life, Lord. We thank you that you are the God who is long-suffering, the God who is gracious, forbearing. And I believe, Lord, today with all my heart that you are here saying, man, I'm going to give you another chance, absolutely. Today can be a new beginning no matter what we've been doing. So let that be real, Lord, in our hearts today as we examine our life, as we ask for you to touch us. And I also pray, Lord God, for anyone here who may not be a Christian today. You know, if you're here today and and you're in sin and, and you don't want to change, you just don't want to change, then you know what? Don't take communion. Because then you're bringing judgment on yourself. That's what the Bible says. But if you're here today and you want to change, God will change you. God will bless you. Maybe you're here today and you need that forgiveness. The promise of God, he said, listen, if you confess your sins to me, I will forgive you and I'll give you a new start. Maybe some of us need to do that today, and there might even be some here today who just, you know, you're not Christians. You're playing the game, God's keeping the score, and the bottom line is this, you're not real. If that's you, it's okay, man. It's okay to acknowledge that. Humble yourself. Right now, humble yourself. And you just tell the Lord, you tell him from your heart, you tell him, Lord, I'm a sinner. And today I come to you and I want you to save me. I turn from my old life, my sins. And today I'm going to trust Jesus as my Lord and Savior. And if you do that right where you're at, I'm telling you on the authority of God's word, then you're saved. 
So they're going to pass out the bread and the cup. May we all be where we need to be in our relationship with the Lord.